You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. What's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 185. Who cares? I'm Jimmy Kemsky from phillyvoice.com. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Galton of bleedinggreennation.com. We're going to get into some uh, practice notes, uh, observations. A lot of players talk this week with the media. We'll have some observations on those guys. Uh, Eagles made some football ops- uh, operations changes. Uh, we have some you know, potential news on the horizon with uh, June 1st uh, on the horizon. And then we'll take sort of an overview of, you know, where people nationally and locally sort of have the Eagles ranked uh, in terms of NFL-wide uh, in the NFC and the NFC East and so on. So we'll get to all that. But first, Brandon, how are you doing, buddy? Jimmy, great podcast in store today. All the other ones we do kind of just okay, but this one's actually really good. So you're going to listen to the whole thing. Uh, before we get into everything, Jimmy, I have some quick plugs. Of course, Righteous Felon Craft Jerky sponsors BGN Radio, and you can go to RighteousFelon.com for using discount code BGN15 for 15% off. Same thing at WildNaturePet.com for dog treats. So go do those things. In addition, I want to read a review here from CLT Birdman, who left this on Apple Podcasts, five-star rating and review. As always, we encourage you to leave these in part because we will read them if you leave a review. And this one is very long, so bear with me here, Jimmy and listeners, which is it's titled Great Eagles Insights and Some Fun. But that's the thing. You can make me read this whole long thing if you leave one. So it says, Bleeding Green offers several great podcasts for Eagles fans. Jimmy Kemsky and BLG host a weekly pod that is both informative and lively. It is always fun listening to Jimmy answer the spam calls with the fake fact noises, etc. That is very fun. I do like that. Um, Above the Nest with Rachelle, which is obviously a new addition here, is an upbeat, quick update for Eagles news. Rachelle does a great job. Seamus Clancy also has a podcast offering the fans perspective. I also really like the new NFC East mixtape podcast. It is the perfect place to get news and opinions for the other NFC East teams, both Alex Ochoa which I, I like the disrespect here by not even using RJ's <laughs> real name and calling him Alex instead. And BLG, uh, if you are one of those fans with crazy opinions like Carson Wentz isn't good or Jim Schwartz should be fired, you should listen to these podcasts to help inform your thoughts before you sound silly on social media. I listen at two times the speed on my app while getting my daily 10K steps. So BGN makes you healthier too while giving you the info you need to run circles around uninformed, dumb Cowboys fans. So what a review there by CLT Birdman. I, he's got to listen to him at double the speed because he's listening to all of them. So <laughs> there's only that one is, it's the only way to get through them all. That is very impressive. Uh, so thank you for the support. Leave a review, rating review and we'll read yours as well. But uh, we should probably actually talk about what people are here for. Jimmy. Yes. So let's get to Brandon and I are going to go back and forth and give uh 
we're, we're, we'll each give five observations from the Eagles' first full team practice, uh, their OTA session. Of course, the Eagles, uh, they're not going to have their mandatory minicamp anymore. The Eagles and the coaching staff sort of came to, uh, they negotiated, they kind of came to an agreement that they would participate in all the OTAs, but the practices would be sort of um, uh, like less intense. Teaching base. It'll be more it's about the... teaching based, yeah, yeah, where like they'll learn the scheme and fundamentals and all that kind of stuff, um, as opposed to like real. In fact, they're they're so relaxed. They're wearing jerseys. Uh, I guess that's. I'm not counting that as one of my observations, but they're basically wearing t-shirts during practice, which I've never seen before. So that was kind of interesting. But Brandon, why don't you lead us off with your first observation from either the practice or the series of player interviews that we had throughout the week? I mean, I could just go in chronological order here. Maybe I will and say that I beat Nick Sirianni in rock, paper, scissors. I mean, huge <laughs> development to come out of Eagles practice. Honestly, I mean, I'm kind of concerned about Nick Sirianni because is he adaptable? Like, can he respond to adversity? Like, those are big, you know, hallmarks of a good head coach. And when I threw out paper, as he come up, came up to me along the sideline, walking out to the practice field, and he was trying to, you know, dap me up. I threw out paper, Jimmy, and he looked terrified. He was like, what are you doing? He, like, took a step back. Like, he was <laughs> like, who is this crazy guy? Um, so definitely a red flag there. On a more serious note, uh, something that people will actually care about, not my little uh, shenanigans with the head coach, is that I feel like I noticed Nick Sirianni kind of taking a few players aside during practice and coaching them individually. Mm -hmm. I kind of think that speaks to the Eagles' emphasis on player development and where they feel like things potentially went wrong with the last coaching staff here and how young players didn't really get better. Um, now, you know, the guys I think I saw him work with were like Adrian Killens and Jason Kroom, guys who probably aren't even going to be on the team. But I think the, you know, the the essence of that point remains where like, he, you know, they're really going to try to to work with these players. Uh, and the last thing I'll say on Sirianni is he does seem to spend a lot of time with the wide receivers. So mm -hmm. That's his uh, I have noticed that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it's yeah. kind of funny to just always see him there. Yeah, he bounces around from positional group to positional group. But yeah, I, I would agree that he spends probably more time with the receivers than anyone else. Um, it's kind of interesting, like he, and maybe this is just because we're, it was the first practice, or I guess it was the second practice we count, uh, rookie minicamp. But uh, he doesn't stand out in the same way that he past Eagles coaches have. Like Andy always knew exactly where he was on the field because he's huge. <laughs> Chip, you, already, you always sort of saw him running around from place to place. Doug, you know, you could pretty much find him camped out uh, with the quarterbacks almost at all times. So he was easy to find. Nick is a little well, the hair, hard. too. What's that? The hair. Doug's the hair. hair, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he is he's sort of like a dominating presence. He's a big dude, Doug. So yeah. he was easy to find. Nick is sort of like uh, you got to look for him to, to know sort of know where he is. So that's sort of an initial. And again, it's maybe just because we're not used to seeing him every day in practice. But um, anyway, kind of a dumb observation there. So next for me, uh, that's not my observation, would be that it looks like, as it should be, Jordan Mailata is with the first team offensive line starting at left tackle. And Andre Dillard was working more with the second team. So um, that's the way it should be. <laughs> like, like I said, like Jordan Mailata is a better football player than him right now. He's got the size. He's got, you know, reasonable athleticism for his size. Um, and I thought he played so much better in 2020 than Andre Diller did in 2019. And even though Mylotta has been in the league one year longer than Dillard, he's still younger and, in my opinion, has more upside than Dillard. 
And I wonder if the team would consider, well, I'm sure they can, obviously they would definitely consider, but I wonder if they could get a decent enough offer to make it worth their while uh, in trading Dillard and taking the cap hit that would be associated with that. Um, and, you know, maybe getting something decent in return for a player that um, they don't, I don't want to say they don't believe in, but uh, certainly has been a disappointment um, through the first two seasons. And not necessarily his fault last year, obviously, because he got hurt, tore his biceps and was out for the year, but a uh, disappointing first, you know, rookie season initially. So it is at least uh, good to see that the Eagles aren't, I guess, you know, they don't have their head in the sand and they weren't having him. Ahead. And we may see, you know, Mylotta and Dillard split time at left tackle. And that should probably happen as well with the first team throughout OTAs and training camp. But uh, it was at least encouraging to see Mylotta getting the first crack at it here at OTAs. I think you could also say, or maybe at least I've been wondering this, is Mylotta 100%, you know, or sorry, is uh, Dillard 100%, you know, back off of this injury? Like, do, are they, do they want to kind of like take it slow with him too, in terms of putting him back in there, whatever he's doing? Not that he's doing much right he now. He should but I kinda... be, because when did he suffer that? Like, was that, was like, was that late August or early September? Late August. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, I mean, he should be fine by now. Cause okay. I don't know how, I don't know exactly how long that injury is, but I don't think biceps is worse than like an ACL, for example. Yeah, I'm just saying we don't. I guess we don't know that 100. percent But um, so I just thought about that, trying to be fair to Dillard. Yes. And then the other thing is the uh, we we forgot to talk about this last week, and I kind of I was kicking myself, Jimmy, because I was like, oh, you know, we we forgot to talk about signing the Eagles made, and they added LaRaven Clark last oh, week, right? Yep, um, an offensive tackle, which I think it's an interesting signing in that he's coming off an Achilles injury, and like I don't even know when he's going to be necessarily ready to play. He, he got injured in early December. I think so the likelihood of him being ready for the start of the season isn't very high in my opinion. And it makes sense for them to stash him on the pop for the start of the season. And then he can return uh, week seven, at which point they may need him. They may need reinforcements if some guys go down along the way. So I think that's a signing that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's a smart signing in, in my view. And it's like a guy that has experience at multiple positions at right tackle at left tackle and was right guard. He played right with Indy, not left guard, but anyway, he played three different positions for them. Um, so he's sort of that versatile offensive lineman that they're always looking for. And he might not, and I don't think it matters. Like his signing, I don't think it has any bearing on anyone on the roster because again, he's probably not going to be ready throughout training camp. Uh, but again, if the guys go down, I think the guy that maybe would be sort of at risk with his signing more than anyone else would be Matt Pryor, as opposed to, you know, any of the uh, offensive tackles. I think it does raise the question, though, not necessarily that it impacts it or like it's a direct correlation, but it does kind of, bet- well, just even between my starting or getting the first crack at left team or first team left tackle and then the Clark signing. Like, what's Mylotta's role on this team if he's not starting? Like, are you going to have a backup left tackle only? You mean what's Dillard's role yeah, on I keep, this team? I don't know. Yeah. I keep getting his name wrong. I keep <laughs> conflating them. Really uh, struggling. So, yes, I don't know. Like, he doesn't have versatility keep... is what you're Yeah, that's what I'm there. trying to say yeah. here. Like, are they just going to keep – and they might. And they've done it before. I was thinking – I was on um uh the you know the show on your website, Jimmy, with uh, Jody Mack. Okay. and John McMillan and they were asking me about this situation and I was saying they've done it before like you know Chance Warmack was on the team and he could really only play guard <laughs> right 
and probably really only well he couldn't play at all honestly but i mean like, in theory you know he could only play the one he could only play guard and they kept him around even though they could have saved money um by cutting him anyway uh so i kind of just wonder about that and uh yeah i absolutely do think it's noteworthy that my is the first team left tackle and it should be and i agree with you it's good they're not just gonna like be like well we have to make this first round pick work at all costs so we're gonna like go with a sunk cost fallacy here and put dillard in there but uh i kind of want you to touch on jimmy like why there is a negative perception of dillard because i think some fans like i see that in twitter and the bgn mm. comments a decent amount they're like why do why do people think negatively of andre dillard i think some people get it but i think some other people are like well he looked good as a rookie and then it doesn't matter that he struggled at right tackle because that's not the position he wants to play so i feel like you should probably get into this a little bit because you talked about it at the time last year like you were kind of you kind of put some things out there, especially like around the draft, because around the draft there was like buzz that he might get dealt yeah. like that night or something might happen. And I think you would put out there like that the team like didn't feel good about him. Well, to begin, so I had taken a look at like all his snaps during the twenty nineteen season, and I was even under the impression a little bit that he was you know significantly better at left tackle than he was at right tackle. And it's certainly true that he was better at left tackle than he was at right tackle. He was a disaster in that one game at right tackle against the Seahawks. Yeah, like he was, he was unplayable in that. For, like he was just getting put on roller skates, snap after snap after snap. And like they had, they put Matt Pryor in for him at half. Like at halftime, Matt Pryor came in, subbed in for him at right tackle. And part of the problem with that game was that leading up to that game. He seemed to know full well that he wasn't going to play well there. He didn't have the mentality of like, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm a football player and I'm going to make this work and I'm going to scrap and I'm going to, we're going to like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a player, right? He just kind of thought that he wasn't going to be good. And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that he wasn't good at left tackle. The idea, and, and I kind of had this idea, like I said, in my head a little bit before I actually watched him, that he was significantly better there. He wasn't like, he was pretty bad at left tackle too. Those first two games that he played, um, one of which was against the Vikings, which was in a, I mean, he was put in a difficult situation there because I think that's the game that he came in midway. Was it, yes. was it that game or Dallas? So it was, he came in midway against the, against the Vikings. He's going against two different styles of edge rusher. Like they were kind of tag teaming against him and Everson Griffin, who's sort of a power guy and Daniel Hunter, who's sort of a, a speed guy and a speed to power guy. And they ate him up. Like it was a bad debut for him. Following week, they played Dallas and, um, Oh man, who's the Robert Quinn sort of had his way with him all day uh, in that game. Now the excuses made for him in those two games were that the Eagles got behind early in those mm -hmm. games, so the edge rushers on each opposing defense sort of pinned their ears back and they went at you know they were able to you know go after the passer. But he was really bad in both of those games. Gave up a ton of pressures, gave up a few sacks in each of those games. And the other two games where the Eagles did get leads early and won both of those games were against uh, Chicago Bears. And against the Buffalo Bills, um, that Bills game in particular, like that's the windiest game that I've ever attended in person. Like pregame, the, the Bills brought out like, you know, how, like the Eagles bring out like their uh, the fireworks things like by the they used to have mm -hmm. that big inflatable the eagle. Entrance. But now they get rid of that. Whatever the Bills things that they had there, they were like they couldn't keep them in place. Like they were blowing off the field, literally. So like that was a very run heavy game plan, obviously. And then any passes that they, that they made in that game were all short. So there was no like big dropbacks. He still gave up a bad sack in that game, gave up a bad sack against the bears as well, but was better overall in those games than he was against the Vikings in Dallas. But overall he had a really rough rookie year. Like he gave up 
I think it was more sa- uh, sacks than anyone on the offensive line playing like in, you know, the equivalent of like four and a half games. So not good. Like he was really bad, but then beyond just this play on the field, like there are some concerns about his mentality and his toughness um, and his ability to, to, you know, handle the everyday rigors of the NFL. And, and it is especially difficult, of course, uh, here in Philadelphia where, you know, like you don't get much of a break from the media or the fan base. Um, so it's, um, you know, from, from a lot of different angles, there are concerns with uh, Andre Dillard's future here. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a sign early on here that they did have Dillard with the first team. So from one disappointing first round pick to another, we transition to my next biggest takeaway, not from practice, but from the media availability that we've been getting from the players is Jalen Rager talking about how like kind of one of the biggest differences from last year to this year with the new coaching staff is he's going to be in the slot more. Now to be clear, this isn't like Jalen Rager saying he's only going to play in the slot. And to also be clear, Jalen Rager played like I think twenty percent or so of his snaps last year in the slot. About a so quarter this isn't of the like, snaps were in the were in the slot. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't like, oh, this is a totally new thing that hasn't <laughs> happened right. before. And it'll totally unlock him and make the world's difference. Now, I think it could help. I'm not going to deny that. I think one of the things we saw from Jalen Rager in practices last year, I felt like he was really good on slants. I feel like he was good at getting open on those and being strong and catching the ball. Um, So maybe that does translate. And I think, obviously, Greg Ward does not give you any kind of explosive vertical element out of the slot at all, like like least in the NFL. And Rager might be able to provide that there. But, Jimmy... um, I was listening to Matt Harmon, who you may know, and listeners you may know as like a he's like a wide receiver guru, like expert. Um, has done work for I used to think he used to be with like NFL.com and like backyard banter, I think is what where he was doing his wide receiver charting oh, heat. That's why his he, handle is BYB. Okay. Yes. He created a, a reception perception, he calls it. So basically he's like a wide receiver expert. He watched like a ton of film of all these guys and he like charts them every year. And he's been doing this since 2014. He was talking about this on the SB Nation NFL show this week with uh, Kyle Posey. Just listened to the whole episode. Um, but one thing I wanted to highlight there, he mentioned that Jalen Rager's 40.8 success rate versus main coverage is the second worst player he's ever charted. Only better than Justin Hunter, who was, I guess, with the Titans at one point. Um, he also had a second percentile score in uh, against press coverage. So... Look, there's a lot of excuses. You know how, that, how does he define? Do you know how he defines that? I I don't know. You'd have to look up. Okay. I guess his, his <laughs> well, what thing, was it? Forty eight point four percent. Forty point eight. Forty success rate. Who is the versus, receiver that he was better than? Any idea? Uh, I said, said Justin Hunter. Second, oh, Justin Hunter. I didn't hear you yeah. say that. Okay. Um. So basically, the point there, the the, the gist of that stat is that like. That stat, to some extent, measures more than just like, oh, the quarterback was bad and the offense was a mess. Like, that's on Jalen Rager to, to a, like a significant amount of extent. Like, he couldn't run routes well. And now you could say, well, they didn't teach him how to do that. I mean, some of that's on him. Like, he couldn't get open. The bottom line is, whoever we're going to blame, like, he couldn't get open. And some of that's on him. And, and I also, Jimmy, looked up some stats this week. It wasn't even honestly about Rager. I'm doing an article on Devontae Smith coming up and, uh, so I was looking at first round wide receivers from the, the last 10 draft classes before this year. And I was looking at like, I, I was just looking at receiving yards, like how many receiving yards did those 37 first round rookie wide receivers have? 
And Jalen Rager ranked 26 out of 37. And the only 11 players with fewer, Jimmy, are, let me read them real quick. Corey Davis, Nelson Aguilar, Jonathan Baldwin, Philip Dorsett, Kevin White, Nikhil Harry, Mike Williams, who was injured as a rookie, mm-hmm. Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, John Ross, and A.J. Jenkins. So okay. not the best company to be in. Now, right. I want to be clear that this doesn't mean that Jalen Rager like can't be a good player, but you I, I you can't I don't know how anyone can just assume like he's just definitely a hundred percent going to be better. You can say like there's reasons for optimism. I get that. But like you can't just say like, oh, no doubt about it, he's a good player already, or he's gonna be great. I would say that like um when he was coming out of college, the excuses that were made for him as a prospect were that his quarterback at TCU stunk. Like I mean that that quarterback whoever I, I don't know I remember I don't remember like what his name something. was. Something that guy got just dragged through the mud <laughs> every time anyone talked about Jalen Rager and the bad quarterback play that he had at TCU. But the, the excuse making for you know his play in in college um, I thought was a little over the top. Um, like I didn't buy a lot of it. And if but, but if we're gonna if we're gonna make if we're gonna just play devil's advocate and we're gonna make you know excuses for his rookie season. You know, it's noteworthy, of course, that he was injured early on. He missed weeks sure. three through eight, I think it was. So he missed, uh, you know, those six games. He played through, uh, you know, the injury that kept him out that long uh, in that Rams game. Like, he got hurt in that game. He played through it. So you, you got to admire his toughness in that regard, at least. Uh, I think that his best trait in college was that he was really good after the catch. So perhaps in this offense – He'll be put in better positions to get the ball in his hands with a little bit of room to run. Uh, I don't think they did an, uh, enough was done in that regard. I mean, they were throwing like bubble screens to freaking Greg Ward <laughs> last year. Like it never made any sense. Like give those to Rager. So like it never made any sense to me why that why they would do that. Um, and then I think the other thing too is uh, in regard to getting open. I think that was sort of like a, a known thing about Rager coming out of college was that. He was, I don't want to say raw, but it was, he's sort of like a high ceiling kind of prospect who, you know, needed work in his route running uh, before he was going to become one of those top tier uh, receivers. So it it was maybe not to be expected that he was going to blow up uh, as a rookie. And if he can improve on his route running, then, you know, maybe better times are ahead. But, uh, you know, certainly I think your point is uh, well taken that his uh, rookie season was a disappointment. Yeah, and just concerning. Like it's, it's a legitimately yeah. like historically like the precedent is it's it's a concern, and, and he has a lot to prove. Um, why don't we take a break here, Jimmy? Yeah, okay. and then we'll get into your next thing. So, why, just sit right there, James, while I tell you about Rights to Sell and Craft Jerky, <laughs> the leading sponsor, the first sponsor we bring up uh, at the top of the show, always for BGN Radio, and at the end of the show. And why do we do that? Because it's really good beef jerky jimmy it's the best you can get in the entire universe and if you don't believe me just try it and you can try it by going to rights to selling.com using discount code bgn15 for 15 percent off it's the same beef jerky that is located at the novacare complex where the eagles are working out and training so uh if it's good enough for them must be good enough for you too again discount code bgn15 at rights to selling.com also same discount code BGN15 at wildnaturepet.com for 15% off dog treats. Jimmy, back after this. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. 
because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Back here on BGN Radio. Jimmy, what is your next biggest take? Observation number two, I would say, is that Brandon Brooks practiced, which shouldn't come as any sort of surprise at all since he practiced week 17 last year. So he was back out there again. Um, his most recent Achilles tear occurred around this time last year. It was in June. Uh, so it was about 11 months ago. Again, no surprise that he was out there. He spoke with the media and had, um, I, I think there were two major takeaways from that press conference. One was that, um, you know, he was, of course, making the point that he came back from an Achilles tear before. Uh, and he did so impressively prior to the 2019 season. He got hurt uh, against the, uh, Saints in the divisional round of the playoffs, which was, you know, sort of deep into January and uh, was ready for week one, uh, amazingly, uh, during the 2019 season. So um, not a guy that you want to bet against necessarily. However, it's noteworthy that he has now racked up three major injuries uh, in each of the last three seasons. Uh, the Achilles tear in, in, at the end of the 2018 season a bad shoulder injury at the end of the 2019 season. And of course he missed the entirety of last year with a second Achilles tear. So he's racked up a lot of injuries and perhaps as such landed on the trade block earlier this off season, which Brandon Brooks even acknowledged on his zoom mm -hmm. call ever the honest uh, forthcoming uh, player interview. One of my favorites on the team to interview because he is so honest about his own self and things going on with his life and his anxiety and all that stuff. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, interesting that he would confirm that. And, um, and I don't know, they can get anything for him because you have to get anything worthwhile anyway for him because the cap hit for him would be substantial. So the Eagles would have to be like, they'd have to get something pretty good return to be willing to take on that cap hit or else probably just better, best serve to have him be your starting, uh, right guard. But of course they drafted Landon Dickerson. So I would think that, um, you know, I, I would be looking at this being Brandon Brooks's last season with the team. Uh, if he doesn't, if he doesn't get traded before the beginning of the season, uh, Brandon Brooks, lovely guy, Brandon Brooks, Brandon Graham, Brandon Lee Gowton, all very good. Brandon's here. Uh, associated with the Eagles, equally talented, arguably. Um, some would say, I wouldn't say that, but some people out there might say that. <laughs> um, uh, Brandon Brooks, always a treasure to listen to him talk, just really super, just actually like talks to you. It's not like an athlete speak thing. You, just, you're just having a conversation with another human being. Like I remember a couple years ago, I was asking him about like the importance of offensive line continuity. Because at the time, the Eagles were like one of the only teams like returning all their starters, basically. And he, I remember just him like taking the time to like, like just explain it to me and like really just like sit down and think about it. And um, so the point being is, you know, obviously we all love Brandon Brooks. And uh, in addition, Jimmy, one thing you didn't mention is he said he would have been ready to play uh, in the playoffs had the Eagles made it there last oh, season. Okay. So that's another, you know, positive thing to, in, in terms of his rehab and everything. Um, although the, the one thing I will say against Brandon Brooks and not, not against him. And I, you said it there. Like I would not bet against Brandon Brooks individually, kind of just like how I wouldn't bet against Devonte Smith. Like, but those are the outliers we're talking about. I think when it comes to these kind of situations, like if Brandon Brooks is any kind of normal thirty-three-year-old offensive lineman who is coming off uh, the two Achilles injuries and a major shoulder injury, that's just like I'm not saying they're done; they can't play at all. But it's a red. It's a concern. It's a big red flag that goes up. And in most cases, I'd be writing, you know, people off. Sure. With the um, same situation. And just, I'm not writing. Yeah. Brandon Brooks off at all. But I don't agree that it, like his thing is like, I've done this before. Why can't I do it again? Well, I would just say like, it's not the exact same situation. You're a couple years older now. There's been more injuries. So that is a little different. But right. um, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to count out Brandon Brooks at all. I would ne- I'd never do that. But, you know, I'm just saying, like, let's see it. Like, let's see how he holds up now that he's older and he's had these injuries. Yeah, and that's certainly that would be the hesitation for anyone else around the league that would consider trading for him, obviously. Right. Um, so observation number three for you. Yes. Um, my next biggest thing, other than Darius Slay being a clown, um, I'm not going to include that as an official <laughs> one. I just thought that was funny. By, um, by, by being a clown, to be clear. Because <laughs> that's like just being a funny it. guy. He was, he was just cracking jokes during his interviews. Oh, yeah. I, I mean it in a mean way. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, right. Like, but that's how most people perceive clown. Right. So that's just good clarification by <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> He's being goofy anyway, yes. which he, he always is. He was just, clowning just, around. He wasn't, he's not a clown. He's clowning around. <laughs> yes. Good distinction by you. Um, number three. I have for me is I'm kind of deciding like which one do I want to do? so I'm gonna go with I saw Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, who we talked about earlier, and Quez Watkins. They all spent some time with the quarterbacks and running backs um during like handoffs that mm-hmm. they were doing, kind of working on reverses and jet sweeps. And uh, I tweeted that out. I feel like it got some interest from the uh, fantasy football community, which is always nice when you see that happen. And uh I think that's you know, it's a kind of a, a small moment in practice, but I don't really know that I remember seeing that a ton with Doug as much where they didn't like, run many actually... jet sweep 
type stuff. I mean, they did, but not as yeah. much as like the, the league has really taken off. That has really taken off with a lot of teams around the league, but not as much with, with the Eagles. Well, when they would try to, it wouldn't work. Remember, yeah. like any time <laughs> yeah, they would try probably it, probably with year. good reason because they didn't. Have, they don't have good receivers that they that can pull pull it off. You know what I mean? I'm thinking of like Adrian Killens. Like they put him in for that one play <laughs> against the 49ers. It was like minus ten. Like, yeah, and that's like his only carry. <laughs> right. Poor Adrian Killens. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. That just seems kind of cool uh, to see they're kind of putting an emphasis on that. I think, and those are great guys to do it with. I think uh, you know. I think those. Well, you know, Rager. Let's see it. But um, I think Watkins for sure. And uh. And um, uh, Devontae kind of have that ability to kind of get them touches beyond just catching the ball. So that's kind of nice to see. Okay. Small thing. Observation number three for me would be, uh, I liked what I saw from Kenny Gainwell. Hmm. He was out there. Except the the jersey number. It's terrible. It it is. 14 just does not look good on a running back. But um, I watched uh, quite a bit of the running back and tight end individual drills i mean again to be clear like the the practice that we watched it was just individual it was like them stretching individual drills and then we were out of there so we didn't get to see any kind of competitiveness in any way and there won't be throughout otas is my understanding like there won't be seven on sevens there won't be 11 on 11 or anything like that um i'm sorry say again like this next week is the end too (laughs) yeah that's it it's the last week (laughs) right so there wasn't really much to observe but uh and they're you know they're running routes against ghosts but the one thing I will say about Kenny Gainwell is that he looked good running his routes. There was no wasted motion, very sharp in his route running, and he caught the ball really well, like plucks the ball out of the air with his hands, doesn't let the ball get into his body. And uh, I was just imp- – and, and then once he catches it, he tucks it and runs. Like it was it was all looked smooth and fluid. Um, again, not competitive situation. So you don't want to make too much of it, but I thought he really caught the ball well. And it makes sense because he, what did he have, like 50-something catches in his final season at Memphis, and he's sort of following in the footsteps of, like, mm-hmm. you know, Antonio Gibson and Tony Pollard, um, these Memphis running backs who are able to both run the ball and, and catch the field out of the backfield or catch the ball out of the backfield. So, uh, yeah, I did like – I did my my initial impression of him in that first running against ghosts practice was a favorable one. Jimmy, I'm kind of scared now. I mean, there were ghosts there at practice. That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty terrifying. Um, yeah. Uh, he also was on the jugs machine before practice, which is nice to see. I feel like you don't always see the running backs on that. Not that it's a unusual site and yeah. Elijah Holyfield was also, but you don't always see them on there. So that's kind of nice to see before practice, getting, uh, some hands work in and that kind of transitions to my next observation, Jimmy, which there are some new gadgets at Eagles practice, which mm-hmm. I don't know how much people care about this, but I think it's kind of interesting <laughs> when a new coaching staff comes in and they have some new ideas in terms of equipment and whatnot. Uh, so, I took a video, it's on my Twitter account, at Brandon Gowton, of Devontae Smith, like, where, I'm sure you saw this, it's like, so it's almost like a tether, tether ball, like, looking thing. Oh, the ball on the string. Yeah, the ball on the string, where he's, like, throwing it out, and then it, like, bounces back to himself, and he's, like, catching it, and... To this point, Devontae Smith does catch everything thrown his way, or at least he did in this practice. I, I didn't see any drops, you know. Again, there's no one defending him, but still, nice to see. Catches everything thrown his way, and... Like, like you kind of said with Kenny Gainwell there, I I don't think I've seen Devontae Smith body catch once. Like this guy catches everything. Like he pucks mm-hmm. the ball out of there every single time with his hands. He is not a body catcher at all. I have not seen that. Um, so that's nice to see. Also, I noticed the uh, the quarterbacks had some different kind of drills where 
they were throwing throwing the ball through hoops, Jimmy, like some uh like these hoops with nets on them. Did you see yeah. those? Okay. Yeah, it was more like it was kind of like a basketball net, but wider, and yes. and it and, was uh, vertical as opposed to horizontal. Or, yeah, and there was a you know there's a net on the end, so they they're mm-hmm. trying to throw balls into into those. I, I would love to have one of those for my backyard personally. That would be fun. And then <laughs> um, they also had another thing where it was kind of just like a, a sheet, like or at least like a you know big like board thing. And then like there's like three pockets on there. Yeah, I've seen those on so many like other team practice mm. videos but they they're new to philly here this year yeah i haven't seen them here before so i think that's kind of nice like it's these are kind of again small things but it seems like they're stressing accuracy which i think is important right. i think and didn't see stressed enough when it came or at least we didn't see enough improvement Agreed. or the carson went so that was a big issue so that's nice to see i did notice joe flacco missed entirely on two of his throws at the nets which you know i'm not making the world out of it i just thought that was kind of funny when i was watching his first two attempts and they both missed um, I think Jalen Hurts. I, I like. I heard Jalen Hurts didn't do that well. I think when I saw him, he was fine. So whatever. Um, but that's that's my thing. Is there there are some new gadgets at Eagles practice, which is I guess kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, if accuracy is indeed they're going going to be their priority this offseason with the quarterback group, and it should be. I mean, that's going to be what determines whether Jalen Hurts is the quarterback in 2022 and sure. beyond. He, he needs to improve his accuracy substantially this year to have a chance. So on, the, on your other point, too, on Devontae Smith you know, not dropping anything, you know, there's that crazy stat from Pro Football Focus where over his last three seasons of uh, Alabama, 291 targets, six drops, <laughs> which is just crazy. That's crazy uh, ability to catch the football. So um, my next observation would be, what is this observation number four for each of us? Or is it three? I think so. Okay. Four. I think four, uh, would be, again, I, I mentioned I was watching the running backs and tight ends, uh, running routes. First of all, Zach Ertz wasn't in, wasn't there. So I'll just note that quickly. He, uh, mm. Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay were all out the, the day that we watched practice. Although Slay, I guess did practice cause he, he, talked with the media. So I assume he yeah. did practice eventually. Uh, but my, my point, my, my note here is about uh, Tyree Jackson, who is just an enormous human being. Like he's six, seven, uh, like two fifty somewhere around there and just towers over the rest of his positional group out there. And, um, you know, route running has a long way to go from what I saw, but he is going to be, he's going to be the guy. If he makes it this far, like if he makes it to, um, uh, the, I guess the Eagles are going to have two open practices this year. He's going to be the guy that fans immediately look at and go, who the hell is that guy? He's huge. <laughs> like, And he's going to become, I think, an instant uh, fan favorite if he does anything at all in those practices. But um, interesting um, prospect in that he was a quarterback at the University of Buffalo and uh, a productive one. Like There were people that had him like before the year he came out. Like the year before he came out, they had people had him like mocked in the first round of you know really early mock drafts, and he ended up you know not being that. He was an undrafted free agent, but I think the uh, the the guy to look at in terms of you know developing him into a, a quality player at the tight end position would be Logan Thomas, mm-hmm. who for the Washington Football Team in 2020, off the top of my head, I think he had 73 catches last year. So he sure. has turned into a product. Like, there's an argument that, you know, it, I think Dallas Goddard's probably the best tight end in the division. 
but I don't think that Logan Thomas is all that far behind because he outproduced him in yards, and he, and he definitely outproduced him in, in 2020 over on catches and yards, yeah. not yards per catch, probably tight touchdowns too. I think he had five. I don't think Goddard had that many. So um, yeah, I would say that he's an interesting guy to to sort of watch this season. But he's one of my early candidates for the Nay Brown Award, which of course is given out to the player each year who um, seemingly comes out of nowhere and uh, is able to sort of turn some heads and, and get some attention and some hype throughout training camp. The Brown Award, canonically a BGN tradition, right? That's really like a, a BGN staple going back here. It's like Jason B. would, would give that out. Yeah, it's uh, them and uh, Eagles blog from back okay. in the day. They they okay. both sort of uh, were on that. What do you mean them? Who is them? It's me. It's us. It's here. You used to write <laughs> well, BGN. Well, Eagles blog, too, with Derek yes. and okay. Sam and uh, Gabe. Yes. The OGs. I just yes. remember like Jason brewer always writing about it um yes um uh what was the other thing i was going to say you were talking about oh so nfc east mixtape this week jimmy we did an all nfc east team offense okay um which i know you did for philly voice recently but we wanted to do, do a podcast version and get rj's take and hear how wrong he was about that so that was fun to listen to that if you haven't already um my last thing that i had just kind of like smaller notes um uh Jannard avery uh patrick johnson Mm-hmm. And Joe Osman all kind of like working with the linebackers, but kind of like separately, kind of like together, you know, like I think. Oh, were they? I didn't notice that. That is a good observation. More is like, more is like, like pass rushing. You know, these are going to be like pass rushing. They were on the line. other side of the, they were a complete other side of the practice field. So it was a little harder to watch the defense, but that's a, uh, that's a, that's a good pull by you. No, I saw that from uh, Bo Wolf. I, st- I totally oh, stole it from him. Okay. I'm got to give him credit, but, <laughs> okay. but uh, I think he said Good that pull by he, Bo then. Yeah. Good pull by Bo. Um, and then uh, Avante Maddox. I think Bo said he saw some time with safety. Now, like, I don't know what to make of that because, again, such a short amount of time. And it, it seemed like it, not even like full time with the safeties. So, you know, make of that what you will at this time. But kind of the smaller stuff there again. I also heard Avante Maddox talk this week. And I think one of the things he really stressed that's like a difference for him, with the new coaching staff, Jonathan Gannon specifically, is like the importance of eyes. When it comes to cornerback, mm-hmm. like having the eyes, their eyes in the right place, like seeing the right things on the field. Um, so if we're looking at Jonathan Gannon as this cornerback uh, whisperer and like, you know, kind of wondering like what's the secret sauce to how he's getting success out of lesser talent at corner, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the trick. Maybe that's the thing for him. And maybe uh, we can see more out of Avante Maddox and some of these other guys with Gannon uh, having that reputation as the cornerback guru. It's funny. I was standing next to Bo during the practice and he – said, oh, I just saw something that – and he wasn't going to tell me what he saw because he wants to use it, obviously. But um, I joked. I was like, yeah, I mean – so he said he saw something during practice, right? That was noteworthy, <laughs> but he didn't tell me what it was. So I, I jokingly said, uh, yeah, the fans are really going to care a lot about uh, Adrian Killens working with the wide receiver group. <laughs> Which sure he did he... last year, by the way. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure if he knew I was kidding or not, uh-huh. but uh, yeah, that, so that must have been what he was talking about, <laughs> so, you know, because that is that is a good observation. I know those three sure. guys sort of working on their own, and it like mm-hmm. leads into the idea that, um, I mean, Jonathan Gadden, when he spoke recently, he even sort of said that the heavy influence on his scheme and him as a coach overall is Mike Zimmer. So the the thinking here is that you know, the Eagles are going to run a, a scheme similar to Mike Zimmer's in Minnesota, which would of course. Um, include, you know, sort of that rush linebacker position filled there by Anthony Barr 
and here by those kinds of players, uh, including Ryan Kerrigan, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. uh, my last observation will be on Kerrigan, actually, who it's more of like a jersey number observation here, uh, not to step on uh, you and Ben Solak's toes here. But he is now number 90, taking 90 away from poor Marlon Tuipulotu, yeah. who is now 72. And actually yes. is not even the only 72. He's right. 72, along with Coyote uh, Awosika, uh, yeah. undrafted uh, guard from the aforementioned Buffalo. Uh, so that's that's a, just devastating for uh, Tui Pelotu going from a 90 number to 72. Ew. And sharing a number at that. I mean, you have Cedric Thornton, I guess, who was 72 as a defensive tackle back in the day, but... Yeah, not, not a great number. That's an offensive line number. That's not a. That's not. A, that's not a good D line number. So yeah, he might even have to change it again because if like uh, Coyote makes the practice squad, then like <laughs> or, or he's gonna have to, one of those two is gonna have to change. You know, if they stick around. Um, although Jimmy Joe Batsy's fifty nine, which is a good number. Oh, well, especially if you're a linebacker, I think. You know, I think of Domingo Ryan's yes. having that number. Um, that did open up because the Eagles waived him earlier this week. Too. A lot of people lining up to to snatch that guy up too. Yeah, the the Bengals claimed him. They were third overall in the you know the waiver order, <laughs> right? And then uh, the Saints, who had him before, they had him. That's who the Eagles signed him away from. And then who else? I saw another team was in there too. I forget who. I don't but, remember um, who it was either. But yeah, inter- kind of interesting. And then the Eagles signed uh, Willie. Or they yeah they signed Willie Henry, who had, hasn't really played except like for four snaps last year. In a, in a like he hasn't played regularly in a game since like 2018 with the Ravens. Um, so maybe a mistake to wave him. We'll I mean, see. you know, I don't make like, too much out of uh, waving Joe Bachi. Bachi. I don't even know how to say his name. So I don't want to make too much of it, but if a lot of a decent number of other teams had interested him, maybe he could have waved somebody else. Could found another guy on the roster not worthy of a roster spot. I don't know. I uh, I will certainly bring this up at his <laughs> Hall of Fame speech in camp. <laughs> I will. I will bring this up. Um, that's right. I, I do think that's a fair point, though. All jokes aside, uh, why don't we take a break here, Jimmy? Okay. Got a lot to cover in segment three. <laughs> Maybe we won't get so, to all. Maybe we'll save some of it for the next one. We will hear from you right now. Chris and Rocha, Roach Real Tours, Roach Real Tours, Roach Real Tours. Chris and Rocha, Roach Real Tours. She's the greatest. 856-906-9295. Back here on VGN Radio. For our third and maybe final segment, I don't know. What are we doing? What are we talking we about? Go four Jimmy? segments if you want, or we could just, we could on, just make segment three super long. Uh, we're, all, I mean, we're going to get to the Eagles' football operation changes. Uh, we're, we, we should definitely get to you know p- potential June one stuff live stuff because that's coming up. We're not, we're not going to have another show before then, uh, more than likely. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe maybe we'll know. get to you know where we have the Eagles ranked. Uh, in the NFL, NFC, and NFC. Maybe we'll, get to, maybe we'll get to that on another show. But let's start with the June 1 stuff because that is, what's today? We're recording this on the 28th, so 29, 30, 31. It's four days off. And, of course, the significance of June 1 is that 
uh, cap hits become substantially less if you trade or release guys in the current year. It basically just puts off some of the cap hit into the next year. Uh, so, for example, uh, that's what we're looking for as a date on the uh, trade or release of Zach Ertz. It's, they'll mm. save, I think it's like $4 million more. I think it's four uh, this year than it than uh, it would be otherwise. And of course, that four million, um, it'll just be a bigger cap hit in twenty twenty two. But anyway, uh, we'll look for the trade or release of him. And then I think there's also potential for, um, like, if you look at other trade possibilities, it, it's also significantly um, uh, more beneficial to trade them after June one than it would be now. And two, you know, major examples which we already talked about are Brandon Brooks and Andre Dillard. Um, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but uh, it would actually be feasible to trade either of those guys after June 1 than it would uh, right now. And then the other thing that I think uh, is something to look out for on the June 1 date uh, or thereafter is that it's you know maybe a time to look for uh, the team to add an outside corner. Uh, one, because they'll have more cap space to do so. So if they wanted to go after a guy like Stephen Miller for, ex- or Steve, Stephen, Stephen Miller, Stephen Nelson, uh, I don't think they can afford him either way. But if they were going to go after him and try to make a splash move, uh, after June one would be the time to do so. And then you also look at like, you know, the Eagles are going to do something with Ertz, uh, almost certainly, uh, whether that be trade or release after June one. Um, and other teams could be doing the same thing. So you'd look for other teams around the league, maybe to cut bait with, uh, with, with varying players. And the Eagles would hope, I, I think that, uh, a decent, I mean, they had interest in Adoree Jackson, obviously, when he was unexpectedly cut, uh, earlier this off season. So, uh, you know, there could be maybe, uh, opportunity when other teams release players at positions of need after June 1. So you're saying the Eagles after June 1st should take the money and run? Yes. That is a... Uh, well, <laughs> Very well done, Steve Miller. Steve Miller. I just spent too much time thinking of this. Like, Did you really like Google joke. that real quick? I saw you doing yeah. something there in the background. I had to. Um, really totally worth it. Everyone enjoyed it. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we're all just waiting, right, for Zach Hurts to not be here anymore. I mean, it was definitively said. It was definitively reported out there to me that he wasn't going to be on the roster by the time of the end of the NFL draft, and yet he still he is, is still here. Yep. Um, so that is the reality of the situation. But I think a lot of people have been talking about, like, well, why wouldn't Zach Ertz just want to play here and take the you know what his salary this year with the eight million or eight point five million. And because he's not going to get more elsewhere, presumably, if he gets cut at this point, if like no one really wants him. Yeah, he's going to get less on the open market if he gets cut. He's not going to get that 8.25 salary. There's no way. But the way I think about it. Good. Oh, sorry. You're like, you're, you're, uh, I can't like, I can hear you, but you're like, you're like kind of like on the, the, so a little inside baseball here. Jimmy, like, and I can see each other when we podcast and like Jimmy's (laughs) frame is all like fuzzy right now. So I just want to know. All right. All right, I can hear you though, so just make sure we'll, we'll figure this out. Anyway, uh, is Zach Ertz really going to get that money from the Eagles though? Like, are they do they definitely want to bring him back at that figure? I don't think so. But more importantly, Zach Ertz doesn't does not want to be back with this team right. this year. So, I mean, the ship has essentially sailed on. Like, it was like a sure thing that he was going to be gone one way or the other this offseason, as far as you know, the information that I got earlier this year. 
and nothing's changed on that front. Like I haven't heard anything differently. The only thing different about it, and it's actually the opposite of different, is it's the same. Like he's still he's still on the roster currently, so that hasn't changed. It's the only reason to believe that uh, he'll be back. Uh, we, and I ranked it previously, I think, on the show, but I would rank it like this: most likely situation is that they trade him for a you know a crappy return, like the equivalent of like a sixth or a seventh round pick. What like whether there's players involved or whatever, it'll be the equivalent of a late round pick. Uh, next most um, realistic option, in my opinion, is out, outright released. Uh, third most likely option is that they actually get something decent for him in return. Like a, we'll call that like a fourth round pick or higher. And the least likely option in my opinion is that he's just back with the Eagles in 2021. Um, yes, I was, I had to take a picture of you, how fuzzy you are and send this to you <laughs> okay. later. Um, so anything else, uh, well, said, like, we should you, get to the Eagles football operation changes quickly too. Yes. Cause okay. they made a hire. So they hired Dave Caldwell, who was the, uh, former, uh, general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was there. Uh, I believe it was from 2013, 2013 to 2020. Uh, the yeah, Jaguars you fired during the season last year. Oh, it was during the season. Okay. Uh, during that span, the Jaguars had one good season. They went 10 and six the same year. The Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Of course, they made it to the AFC championship game. I think a lot of Eagles fans were rooting for the Jaguars in that game because they would have been the easier path to a Super Bowl. Uh, as it turned out, they uh, were idiotic and like cowards in the way that they approached that uh, AFC championship game. They lost to the Patriots and it wound yes. up being a sweeter Super Bowl win for Eagles fans in that they were able to take down Tom Brady and the Patriots. So it all worked out. Uh, but uh, other than that one good year in Jacksonville, I mean, their record was atrocious. 37 uh, and 86. Okay. Yeah. 37 and 86 overall. You take out that one year and they were 27 and 85, which was a winning percentage of 241. <laughs> so like that was a bad organization while he was there in previous. Uh, so the Eagles had previously, you know, had other former GMs uh, in, you know, working for them in an advisory kind of role. Like John Dorsey was sort of a hot, you know, topic earlier this offseason. And then bam, quickly he was out. Where did he go? Detroit, I think. Yeah, the Lions hired him. And then uh, Scott McLuhan, um, who, you know, we reported back in the day was, um, you know, working for Howie, basically kind of doing like scouting reports for, for the team. I think John Dorsey was kind of doing the same thing. Consulting, uh, Jeff, yes. Jeff McLean, I think, reported that it was basically just, you know, doing occasional one-off scouting reports. So I don't know if that'll be uh, essentially the same role that uh, Caldwell has with the Eagles, his you know, job description with the team via the team's website was very vague. So, you know, to, to be determined what, um, what his personnel role executive. Okay. Yeah. That's I mean, they, but they also kind of gave like a quick blurb of each of the 10 roster moves that they made, not roster moves, uh, uh, you know, operations, operations. And, uh, his blurb was like the other people, the, the other people they that had changes, they were a little more specific. His was like really vague. So it'll probably just be the same thing. I would imagine, uh, but perhaps the more noteworthy changes that they made were the hi- not the hirings, but the um, the promotions of uh, two female employees, uh, Catherine. I'm, 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 my apologies in advance. I'm going to butcher this last name. It's Raish, I believe, R A I C H E, and the I has a little hat over it as opposed to a dot. Uh, she originally hails from Montreal. Was 
you know, in the CFL for a little while. Was actually the assistant GM of the Toronto Argonauts. Um, I don't, I don't have her title in front of me. Do you have that by any chance? Her new title? Yeah, it's the same one that uh, Andrew Barry had. It's um, okay. vice president of uh, Andrew Barry, who we should say, who was then hired, like less than a year of being hired by the Eagles, I believe, to be the next and current. Uh, but it's, it's thought to be the highest. Browns. She's thought she's thought now to be the highest ranking female personnel executive in NFL history. Yes. So it's so, a it's a barrier broken in in a sense uh, with 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 her promotion. So congratulations to to her and uh, kudos to the Eagles for um, you, you know having being open minded about you know um, uh, putting females in in important positions within their operations department. And then also um, Amina. Uh, Soliman, I believe is how you say it, uh, was made a pro scout. Um, I'm sure you've seen her on the practice fields. Um, mm-hmm. She, uh, I don't know how many female pro scouts there are in the NFL, but I would imagine there aren't too many of them. So congratulations to her as well for breaking a barrier in that sense too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, it shouldn't be controversial to say that like men aren't the only people qualified to like right. contribute to a football team success, like white men specifically. Like, that doesn't have to be the only people that we always see. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, I mean, look at um, baseball. The Marlins have, what's her name, King Ng, like who is the, uh, she's like the first female uh, general manager there. Like, why not? Why can't we have a female? Right. Like, and, and Albert Breer wrote in uh, his uh, Thursday column, this weekly one that he does, that there's buzz around the league and there's thought that uh, Catherine Rach might actually be the first female GM in the NFL. So that would be, that'd be really cool. Maybe she can uh, usurp Howie Roseman here and do a better job than he does now. Okay, Females are joke. smarter than males, uh, generally speaking, in my opinion. So I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I think it's great that, uh, you know, um, like there should be opportunity for these people to move up. Like yes. if they're doing a great job, they should get promoted just like, you know, anyone, in any environment. So it's good to see. Also, uh, the other ones that interested me here, Jimmy, um, were, you know, Ian Cunningham mm-hmm. and, and Brandon, Brandon Brown. Brown, both now having the same title of director of player personnel and, uh, Zach Berman kind of offered some clarity here saying that Cunningham will kind of do more of the, the college side more so, um, whereas Brown will kind of be doing more of the, the pro personnel, the, you know, the people already in the NFL. And I think uh, as you reported last year, Jimmy, like Brandon Brown had a role in the Eagles finding Travis Fulgham or he like pitched, mm, Brandon Brown right, pitched yes. uh, Travis Fulgham to Andy Wydell, who already thought uh, highly of Fulgham as well, but still he kind of was the one to pitch that to him. So uh, it seemed like, you know, deserved promotions. Also just wanted to mention real quickly, Bryce Johnston uh, for the old heads out there, Jimmy, who before, you know, over the cap, as you That's mentioned, right. there was Eagles. Fellow cap. blogger com. nerd. Yeah. <laughs> so who says we can't be working for the Eagles one day? Yeah. Good on him. I mean, he, he, he got hired by them as an intern in 2016 and he's been promoted three times already. So yeah. Uh, great. Good on Bryce. And then uh, yeah. just a, one more quick thing on, on Brown and Cunningham. So like, if you just, when you look at the Eagles hierarchy in their, Football operations, you know, Howie obviously is the GM. Andy Wydell is sort of like his, uh, you know, personnel chief. And then the next two guys after them are Brown and Cunningham with uh, well, Raish sort of, you know, sort of in that mix as well. Yeah, I would I would think Raish is above them. I mean, well, yeah, like, Brown, Brown and Cunningham in terms of like the scouting department. Scouting department, yeah. Raish is top of like, so yeah, because the way they had it under um, Andrew Barry, I believe, was like there was like the split there. It was like Howie Roseland at the top mm-hmm. and then a split down to Andy Wydell at the top of scouting mm-hmm. and then Andrew Barry at the top 
of football operations. And I guess that would kind of be similar now. I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking where Howie at the top, then Andy Wydell in terms of scouting, and then Rach at the top of football operations. Right, right, right. So That makes sense. Cool. All right. Anything else? No, that's, uh, I think that's it. Like I said, we'll uh, get to the, you know where the, the Eagles are ranked. We can get that, to that any time during the offseason. Uh, but we're already just about an hour in here. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know if I have any final thoughts. No final thoughts? Wow. Uh, Thoughtless. It's, uh, it's going to be a crappy Memorial Day weekend, it looks like. A lot of rain. But mm-hmm. uh, I am very much looking forward to this summer. Uh, Long Beach Island time. I know that you were yes. down there uh, fairly recently. And uh, yes, so that's all I got. <laughs> sorry, for wasting say, your, sorry for the wasting the last 30 seconds of your life. I'm going to say my final thought is the Eagles aren't trading for Julio Jones. It's not even <laughs> really worth I didn't even write. Did you even write an article about it? Nope. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't even on the podcast uh, show sheet. I didn't even think did about here. it. Yeah. I, it, it didn't, just it didn't even up. cross my mind to put it on there. It shouldn't have. It's not. It's not like a real topic. Like obviously, when any kind of big name player comes up, the Eagles get they get linked to them like somehow in some way, <laughs> right. even if it's thin. And I think oh, it's we did clear. write an article about. it. I think Matt did. Matt Mullen did, but he made fun of it in that way. Like the Eagles right. are always they're just they're just always linked to players, whether it makes sense or not. So there it is. Obligatory mention. We got it out of the way. It's not happening. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Obviously, I'll get some plugs in here before we wrap up. Jimmy, check out the NFC East mixtape, which I did with RJ. It's a lot of fun. Hoping to do those on Twitch soon at some point. So stay tuned for that. Um, check out the Rights to Sell and Craft Jerky, the Rights to Sell and Craft Jerky, by going to rightstosellin.com. Discount code BGN15 for 15% off. Check out wildnaturepet.com by going to wildnaturepet.com and getting some dog treats for your beloved animal companion friend you love very much i know a lot of good dogs to me there's your dogs there's matt's dog named zipper um there's too many dogs i can't even name them all because I, and i'm afraid that i just missed some by there's saying a, something there's, like, a lot, there's a lot of dogs out there and they, a lot of dogs. Gotta, and they gotta eat something you know what i mean <laughs> so i feel like they're they're gonna be upset if uh they they heard i didn't mention them but uh shout out to all you dogs that i forgot just cover it right there and yeah this has been bgn radio episode 185 we will talk to you next week as the eagles have another practice that we attend just one day of and that'll be it until really training camp so we're reaching the dead zone soon and we will be here with you though through it all so rate review subscribe we appreciate you and we will talk to you all next time here on bgn radio goodbye everybody P-G-N. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. 
ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people.